We are, we're now entering the Gospel of Matthew. I love the Gospel of Matthew because of what it's, its audience, what the audience of the book is. We looked at Mark last week about the real Jesus, about a Jesus that has all of those emotions and reactions that never make it to the VBS songs and stories that we've told our kids. The Gospel of Matthew, but to understand it, you really got to start with 1 Samuel chapter 8. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people went to Samuel and they said, we don't like your sons. And let's be honest, Samuel's sons, he was the priest and judge at the time, their prophet and judge, and his sons were, by tradition, supposed to take over and lead after Samuel, but his sons were ill-behaved, they were louts, they mistreated people, frankly. And the people said, we're not going to be led by your sons. Before you die, give us something more solid. We need a king. And that just broke Samuel's heart. Not just because it was a rejection of his sons, which he kind of got, actually. He knew it was a rejection of him, and it was a rejection of God. And he went to, to God about it, and God agrees. Yeah, it's a rejection of you, but it's a rejection of God. And tell them to warn them about what it's going to be when they get a king. They want a king like everybody else. They want a strong leader, and then they'll be a strong people. But tell them what a king will do. And he gives them, gives them a list. He will force some of your sons to be soldiers. Others will be forced to work for him like slaves for the king's pleasure while he takes your daughters and makes them slaves, treats them like his own property to be worked or to be given away as he wishes. He'll tax you. He'll take your best stuff for his own. But they wouldn't listen. They wanted a king, so they got a king. And every time they got a good king, which wasn't all that often, when you get a good king, eventually it all goes sideways. It did every single time. Fast forward to the time of Jesus, and they wanted a king. Here they were again, being human, wanting a king, a strong leader. We do that too. We form political parties, and we push our guy because our guy will make it all right. It's not the way it works. But people have always tried it. And of course, we put our people in and they all go sideways. God says here, well, they want a king. The thing is, though, they want a human king. And I understand this. And I think we all can. Because if you take a look at where Israel is, and here's Turkey or Asia Minor at the time, and you've got Assyria, and you've got Syria, and you've got Persia over here, and over here you've got Egypt, and they are all attacking each other. What's the common... Well, they've all got to go through Israel. And they're pounding Israel every time they go through. Hence the minor prophets that we looked at. They have been kicked around by the neighborhood bullies for 400 years. Now the Romans are kicking them around. They want a hero. They want a hero to ride in and wage war on their benefit. To, to drive the Romans back and drive the Greeks out and make them mighty and respected again like they were in the days of David. The good old days. When Jesus came, he was Messiah. He was king. But they were disappointed in him. They, they wanted him to lead them in battle. They wanted him to kill the Romans. They wanted him to drive the enemies within Judaism, those that had compromised with Rome. They wanted him to finally get a hold of them and give them what was coming to them. Jesus didn't do that. So many turned away from him, and there are periods of uh, rather lines in the Gospels so it will say that after this people turned and did not walk with him anymore or many left him and did not follow him after this. 
The early church, and it's all important to understand where Matthew's coming from. The early church struggled with this. They loved Jesus. They believed Jesus was the king. He was the Messiah. But all of their friends are saying, but what kind of king and Messiah would not free us from Rome? And, and you know, is it now that we ride into Jerusalem? The apostles said, do we now get to get them? And then leaves and gives us the Holy Spirit and gives us a, a community, yes, but then invites in all the strangers, the, all the Gentiles, what kind of king is this? So early Christianity was struggling. And there's another reason it was struggling. Early Christianity considered itself Judaism. It considered itself part of the Jews. The Romans did too. And the Jews were a legal faith. And so the Jews could practice. But after a while, the Jews that didn't accept Christ got upset to the point where they went to the Romans and said, those people that believe in Jesus aren't Jews really. They're somebody else. And they started shoving out the Christians to where the Christians were now exposed to Rome. By the way, Rome went after the Jews as well, but they went after the Christians first. Those Christians now were looking around saying, well, was he really the king? Was he really the Messiah? And that's why the book of Matthew was written. That's why it starts off in the world's most boring book way. Well, this guy had a kid. And that guy had a kid. And then that guy had... We can do this for a while. Because there are a lot of begats. I can still remember when we were asked as kids to read through... Not to read through the Bible. You're too young for that. You're too wee for that. Let's, uh, you're going to read through the New Testament. Yay! Because we always thought they were stories about a, a you know, flannel graph Jesus. And we knew all those. So it's going to be exciting. We open up Matthew chapter 1. Right? Do you remember? Oh. Did you skip some? Did you skip some down to the good bits? Why would he start this? Because they had to see Jesus had the right lineage. He was in the line of the king of David. He had the right bloodline. Matthew will then go further. He will use more Old Testament references than any other gospel by a good number. He goes all the way back to the Old Testament saying, see, here's the prophecy, here's Jesus. Here's the prophecy, here's Jesus. When this prophecy said that, they meant Jesus. He's showing them he's got the bloodline and he's got the spiritual bloodline. This is the one God sent us. By the way, we don't get it because we read it in English. Matthew even breaks his book into five discourses like the five books of the law. I mean, he just tries to lay it out for the Jewish people and the early church as plainly as he possibly can. So you look at the line of the forefathers. You also see four women. Not quite royal quality women. And he had a point in that. Didn't Jesus have more than four women in his line? Oh yeah. Weren't some of them quite impressive? Yes. Why didn't Matthew mention them? For the same reason Mark told his stories like he did. You need to know these women are in there and that means he's a different kind of Messiah. One is a rape victim and murder victim. One is a prostitute. One is a Moabite woman who we're not even supposed to be talking about, but there she is right in the Bible. And then there's Mary, who's a, a teenage, not quite married girl giving birth. Because this isn't going to be a king like you've had before. 
It's going to be a different kind of king. We can also notice something else in those begats. God is in history. God moves through history. He uses flawed, broken people. And you can find in, in almost every one of those names, you can find horrible things they did. And yet God worked through them. I don't know who you are. I don't know you that well. You don't know me that well, even though I live a very public life in front of you. All of us have deep, abiding flaws. And God can work through you. God can use you. No matter what you're like. And, and he can change you. And you saw Wayne down here a while ago. He cured his shyness. Okay, that wasn't that hard. But he turned Wayne's life around. Take Wayne to lunch sometime. Buy him lunch and let him tell you his story. All of us have stories we can tell. Remember this. I'll put it this way. Have you ever been down to Key West and they tell you to stare out at the sunset because right before the sunset, if you're really fortunate, you'll get to see the flash. Some people call it a blue flash. Other people call it a green flash. Some people say it doesn't exist. We're not going to get into the weeds on that right now. I would remark, remark to you, don't look for the flash. Listen for the whisper. Do you remember when God tried to talk to Elijah and Elijah thought, Elijah was looking for God in the storm and the fire and the wind, but God was in the whisper. When you see people and you see yourself in the mirror and you see your day, you might be looking for the flash. We are going to go convert the Congo. Back off. Listen to the whisper. That's where God works. They wanted a flash. They wanted a king that would come in and just clean house with swords and blood up to the bridles of the horses. And they got Jesus. Listen for the whisper. Matthew introduces us to Jesus through the wise men who come from afar. Um, we think they came from Persia. They, they didn't come from Washington since they were wise. That's pretty much all we know. They come from far to um, uh, declare the prophecies were coming true. Do we, do we have that one or did I ask you to do it? I didn't. Okay, that's in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 of Matthew. When they come up to, um, to Herod, they say, we're looking for him because, remember what Matthew's doing, the prophecies in the Old Testament tell us that this child will be born in Bethlehem right now. And we've been coming for years to get to him. By the time they get to him, he is in a house. He's not in the manger anymore. And he is a, at least a couple of years old. But they get to him because of the prophecies. Matthew's saying, this is him. This is the one. Even the wise men of Persia knew this. So Jesus appears on the public scene and Matthew, he appears in humility. He appears requesting baptism. This is a different kind of king. In this, we find a king who models correct behavior, who says, I want you to act like this. I'm going to be a king that's not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to show you what to do, and then say, follow me. So he requests baptism. He submits to God. Chapters 3 and 4, he teaches them to submit to each other. And then he sits down to preach a sermon. 
his first recorded sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's when things really get strange because he launches broadsides against their assumptions, their long-held favorite ways to worship, their traditions, and says six times in chapter 5, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament. And he said, you've heard that said six times in one chapter. He then stops and says, but I say to you, and changes it. If you don't like change in your church, would you have stayed around for the last bit of Jesus' sermon? Or would you have stomped out? That guy, we got that from Moses. We got that from Elijah. We got that from Isaiah. That came from the hands of the prophets. That came to us directly from God. And this guy's standing up saying, it's changed. But he has the authority to do it. He changes everything. Even what we think of as a king. He turns the whole world on its head by saying, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that are mourning. He goes all through this, turning everything around, saying, no, I don't want you to think of kings the way you used to think of kings. The one with the most gold and the most power, they're king. No, 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 no. The king now is going to come serve you and die for you and then be resurrected and then serve you again. It's a whole different world. So he establishes his bona fides, as we might say. He approves, this is who I am, in chapters 8 through 13. He works miracles over nature, over disease, over money, over life and death. And then he commissions his new followers and teaches us that this kingdom, this new thing that he is bringing, is worth more than anything else. And it's worth seeking for the rest of our lives. My brothers and sisters, many of us came to Jesus with a prepackaged Jesus. We, we believed in him, uh, and, and great, great, and we were told, all right, this is how you do it. This is how you worship. This is what you think about everything. This is how you, you think about politics, money, life, uh, amusements, whatever, and this is how you worship, this is how you set up a church, here's the package. And many of us have found that that doesn't have a great deal of power in our lives. If you don't believe that most of us receive Jesus as a package, ask people what their religious history is, and for most people, where they are comes from people in their their family. They just received a package as they went on. Now Jesus says, I want you to receive a king. And that's different. That might look a little bit different each and every day. You need to seek me. Notice he said, asking, seeking, knocking. He said, I'll bless those that ask, seek, and knock. He doesn't say, I bless those that have found, know the answers, they've got the package. He's saying, no, you seek me. We wake up in the morning, we say, all right, where's Jesus in this? We look for, our, in every situation, where is Jesus in this? How can we make Jesus king over this moment? He teaches us about marriage and divorce, how to accept little children, the use of money, where our treasures are truly to be stored. He tells us what life will be like in the kingdom to come. Uh, even things such as, I'm going to reward those that come to me late as much as I reward those that come to me early. Do you remember that story? 
and it's up to me. I get to choose this. Is Jesus king of our life or is our church king of our life? Sometimes that's a good question to ask. Is our church, our tradition, the king or is Jesus? And Jesus says, you need to keep looking for me. You think you found me. You need to keep looking. Make me king. This will be a grace-filled kingdom, a grace-based kingdom. Then Matthew is the one that shows Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that last week on the back of a donkey. Now, first of all, I hate saying donkey since Shrek, but I'm not allowed to use the King James word. Uh, so he rides in on the, a horse relative, doesn't really work, does it? Um, and a, a, a variety of equus, ungulate, anyway, a donkey. He rides in, and we, we think of donkeys as, as comical fa- characters. They didn't think of that. Uh, there are a lot of reasons behind why they didn't think that way. Don't really need to get into it now. Let me just put it this way. Kings rode in to town on the back of a donkey. They rode, that was, that was tradition. So Matthew shows Jesus as king. And that's another lesson we can learn from the donkey. We really can. Have you ever thought about that donkey and what it was thinking about as it enters Jerusalem and everybody goes crazy? Yay! And they're flinging stuff in front of the donkey so he walks on comfy stuff. And there are palm fronds there because who knows, maybe he likes them. And everybody's cheering the donkey. And the donkey's thinking, I am the best donkey in the world. I rock at being a donkey. It's all about Jesus, but we often make it all about us. Don't be the donkey. Remember, we carry Jesus with us. It's not about us. It's about who we are carrying forward. Well, once Jesus gets into town, he stands toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. He gets after them about their legalism. He drives them backwards. He drives back the liberal Sadducees and the temple authorities, those that rested upon politics and power. He doesn't share his opinion. He speaks as a king. And he speaks with authority. And the Bible says several times the people were amazed that he spoke with such authority. He can do that. He's the king. And then he goes into death. And he defeats that for us. Oh, you wanted a king that would go to war for you. You got one. You wanted a king that would fight for you and drive back your enemy. You got him. But you picked the wrong enemy. You picked little enemies like politics and diseases and stuff. That's not, no, no. He's going to drive back death. He holds eternal life. You can be alive 10 billion years from right now. And he can do it because he defeated your enemy, the last enemy, death. He's your king. He beat back these other things, disease, pain, loss, separation, legalism, liberalism, everything that breaks community or divides us because he's truly king. He's king over all. Remember the lesson of Samuel? Who you choose as a king 
matters. Remember this also. It's a package deal, not the package we had talked about before. This is a different package. If you want Jesus as Savior, you must also have him as king. Way too many Christians call him Savior when they have no interest in a king over their lives. But he is Savior and king, or he is nothing, because that's the kind of king he is. And then Matthew 17. Did we get that one up? We do. Great. And I'm, the reason I'm asking is because there were some real issues, and Laurie Lee once again rode to the rescue and worked on the fly to get slides up for the songs and such today. And we love you, Laurie Lee. A story which we, never, we just do not talk about enough, but it frames everything else. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. By the way, yes, you're allowed to have close friends and favorites. And led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. That just means everything about him changed. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to them, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now, that's really a poor translation of, of really was woohoo. Because, and it's hard to get woohoo in Aramaic. It really is. It's a tough one. Because these were their, this is their whole Marvel Comics universe right here. This was their heroes. This was everything. This is the Fantastic Two. This is amazing. Moses and Elijah, this was every, ah. And they were beside themselves. Lord, it is good for, yay, thanks for bringing us here. If you, if, if you wish, I'll put up three shelters. Now, if you don't, you would do that for God's. You did that for people you worship. I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, God didn't even let this one finish. A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. What's the point here? point I was always told was that Jesus is really important. We should listen to him. Yes, yes, yes. That's part of the point. But the, he wasn't the only one on the mountain. There's also Moses and Elijah. And God says, now we've changed. You listen to him. What is the message of Matthew? You got a king. We have no king but Jesus. Do not let other kings in or out of the church trump the teaching and the example of Jesus. Don't let any Christian, early Christian father, don't let any Christian writer, don't let any other person, don't let politics, don't let money, don't let your job, don't let your, your, your drives, be they sexual or hunger or, or power or what, don't let anything else become a king that nibbles away at the power of the king Jesus, do not allow anyone to sit on that throne in the throne room of your heart, but the true Messiah, the King, the one of the bloodline of Jesus, the one of the spiritual bloodline of the prophets of God. 
He must not be king merely in name, but in truth. Mark, if you would bring up the band. You heard me say a prayer at the Lord's Supper. If you would stand, please. And if you are willing, say the prayer with me as we close. This prayer, by the way, was written originally by St. Francis, Francis in praise of God. You are holy, Lord, the only God, and your deeds are wonderful. You are strong. You are great. You are the most high. You are almighty. You, Holy Father, are king of heaven and earth. You are three and one, Lord God, all good. You are good, all good, supreme good, Lord God, living and true. You are love. You are wisdom. You are humility. You are endurance. You are rest. You are peace. You are joy and gladness. You are justice and moderation. You are all our riches, and you suffice for us. You are beauty. You are gentleness. You are our protector. You are our guardian and defender. You are our courage. You are our haven and our hope. You are our faith, our great consolation. You are our eternal life, great and wonderful Lord, God Almighty, merciful Savior. And the whole church says, Amen. Amen.